This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 32. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid. Welcome, one and all. We have a very special episode today talking about Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. Yep, specifically the first volume, uh, localized, I believe, as Descending Stories. Uh, the uh, Kodansha, so th- thank you Kodansha for that. I'm definitely going to be buying all of that soon. Uh, Sid, I'm th- th- thank you for hosting the show for me last week while I went to go out to uh, Anime St. Louis to buy cigarettes. Yeah, did you kick your addiction or did you drown in booze and cigarettes and go on a wild car chase and lose all your money gambling in Las Vegas casinos? Uh, well, um, the good news is I didn't do any of that, but the bad news is, I don't know if you would count this as bad as that, but, um, I did buy, um, weekly Shonen Sunday classic anime Dondo, uh, for $40 in the dealer's room, so I don't know, that, that could be equally as bad, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, wasting your money on (laughs) anime that you don't even know is good is definitely (laughs) a sign of the addiction, the addiction of otakuism. But Wasting your money away on crap you don't need and you don't even like. But, but Sid, it's a golf anime and it's out of print. I had to, this is the kind of stupid stuff that I buy if people don't like keep me in check. This is, this is what happens. <laughs> I'm not one to judge. I went to Annie Minneapolis just this weekend and I spent way too much money on a bunch of crap. Most of it was manga, but I also bought, you know, a lot of other things, and I'm like, you know, I feel like I spent $50 to get into this con just to spend $500. I know, that's how I feel too, because it was um, it was $45 for me to even get in on a Saturday at Anime St. Louis, whereas yeah. it would have been $50 to get in all weekend, but I knew I wasn't going all weekend. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel too. Like, I'm just going to this con so I could just spend my money. That's what I feel like. But here, some, some other good news. You know, I... I, I bought Dando and I'm, I watched like an episode and I'm like, I, I'll finish this one day. I paid $40 for it. I might as well. I did buy One Punch Man on Blu-ray. Um, cool. And I even finished off the rest of my Claymore collection. So, wow. Awesome. So, so now I have all of Claymore, all of the manga and, uh, maybe a Manga Mavericks episode will come out of that. I don't know. I'd like to sometime. This year? I think we're pretty booked. Well, it doesn't have to be this year. Just just <laughs> sometime. Whenever we have a free space, we just be like, hey, let's let's just reclaim more. Why not? For all you know, we have 2018 all figured out considering all the backlog of topics we want to do. Yeah, uh, some, some of our friends have been uh, getting on me and being like, hey, can we talk about this on Manga Mavericks? And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll add to the schedule. Are you are you okay with waiting for a year? Because that that's the kind uh, of waiting yeah. Take your reservations now. We are booked until twenty twenty, but uh, <laughs> we can pencil you in and put you on the waiting list. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it feels like at this point. We have a lot of stuff planned, um, but yes. we should probably we should probably get on to our news first because we we do have a few things we need to talk about. Um, so we're going to start with some of our usual serialization news. First off, the ninth volume of Inuyashiki from author uh, Hiroya Oku, who is the author of such classics as Gantz, confirmed... Classic is a, <laughs> is a stretch there. <laughs> I haven't read it myself, so I just assumed it was, because so many people seem to remember that series. Um, 
that should be another series we should read on the show too. <laughs> Maybe someday. Because oh, um, I actually don't know anything about Gantz other than it's weird. It is very weird. It's an edgy teenager's favorite manga for sure. Oh, I I I don't really like edgy stuff, so that that's kind of turning me off a bit. But anyway, we're not talking. But about- I thought you loved Elfin Lead. Sid, I will I will hang up this call. I'm not even kidding. You know, I attended a panel at Minneapolis where these guys were talking about depictions of sex in anime, and oh, no. they said Elfin Lead is a great example of a sex in anime that has a point because it's meant what? to be uncomfortable. And uh, disgusting and stuff. And and I was like, um... But what really got me out of that panel, like, when I had looked at my friends and uh, had to say, you know, I think we need to go, is when they when one of the guys said, Oremo is one of the greatest love stories in anime, unironically. <sighs> and I was like, yeah, we should get out of here, guys. No, uh, yeah. This panel is not for me. No, yeah, those are the kind of people I don't think I would ever really choose to talk to in real life, ever. No, ever. <laughs> That's, that's, I'm, Sid, my condolences. That sounds terrible. <laughs> but getting back to our news, um, so Inuyashiki is Oku's, I guess, more current work. You can actually read it all on Crunchyroll. I, I read a bit of it. It, it looked interesting, weird, but interesting. Um, I'd, I'd like to read it at some point, but it will be ending at 10 volumes. So there you go. Yeah, cool. And also, as we talked about previously on the show, Fairy tale will be ending soon, and we've got confirmation that'll be ending in ten chapters, so about chapter five hundred forty-five, and so that'll be probably it'll be mid-August when it probably will end. Yeah, uh, considering ten chapters, so yeah, in just about two and a half months, fairy tale will be done. And uh, you guys can go ahead and do your fairy tale retrospective, and I'll go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> so you're definitely not going to be a part. No. Of that. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll have to make V-Lord binge read all 63 volumes of fairy tale. I mean, I I could come on. I just I just wouldn't know anything about what happens after the time skip. Maybe I'll actually get someone who likes fairy tale on the podcast. You know, have a more rounded discussion. I think that'd be interesting. That might be a good thing. Cause I'm sure fairy tale fans already get enough shit as it is, but. Yeah, that's that's ending. And also, ending just announced recently, is that Basara uh, Yumi Tamura has ended her Seven Seeds manga, which has been running for nearly 16 years, that just ended last Saturday in the July issue of Shigakukun's Monthly Flowers magazine. This, I guess, seemingly came out of nowhere for me, because I hadn't heard any news that Basara was heading towards this conclusion, but I'm sure people reading the manga probably already uh, knew this. So, but I've been very interested in uh, reading more of Yumi Tamura's work because I really enjoy what I have read of Basara. And uh, she has definitely had that reputation of being one of the most badass shoujo mangaka on the scene right now. So I'm going to be interested in reading Seven Seeds now that it's fully completed. And hopefully it'll get uh, licensed over here sometime. Well, hey, if there's any kind of shoujo manga, I would I would be interested in reading it be a badass one so maybe i'll check it out but so we so we got some pretty awesome news uh awesome because hunter hunter will be uh resuming its serialization on june 26 aka my birthday so that's a pretty great birthday present thank you togashi it was pretty worth the wait it is how old will you be turning this year 24 yeah that's a great 24th birthday present yeah i can't wait for another 10 chapters (laughs) You know, I don't want to give Togashi too much because, as we've discussed on the podcast before, the the dude 
really does have health problems. And, you know, surprise, surprise, isn't just playing video games like the rest of the internet would have you believe. We know that he has serious health problems. The man went out of his way to explain, like, how every waking moment of his life is filled with pain in his author comments in last year's jump. So, you know, uh, I, th- I think we can give the man a break. I think that he can draw his series at his own pace that won't, like, kill him. You know, honestly, if if Hunter Hunter came back for 10 chapters like every year, I would be fine with that schedule personally. Yeah, I think it's a good schedule to just, you know, make a volume's worth of content a year. You know, I think that's a perfectly healthy thing to do. A volume's worth of content that's worth waiting for because Hunter Hunter is really good. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we can be satisfied with that and we can enjoy what we're getting instead of thinking about, ah, but why aren't we getting more? You know, it takes time to make great content, you guys. It takes time to make great quality stories and comics and all, all sorts of entertainment. Exactly. So uh, give Tagashi his credit and give Tagashi his goo. Give, let, let him draw at his own pace and uh, take care of his health. And we'll get more Hunter Hunter, even if we have to wait a little while for it. Yeah, I mean, I would rather wait a year than, like, what was it, two or three years was one of his hiatuses? Something like that? Yeah, that was long. Uh, but but it, it's coming back for now, and that's that's all that matters, and I personally can't wait to read more. Yeah, I mean, the story left off at a really interesting place last time, so be curious to see what direction it'll take now. I'm also interested in this City Hunter spinoff about a fan reborn into the world of the manga. It's like a, and specifically, it's like a middle-aged, 40-year-old unmarried woman who has been obsessed with the character... Ryo Saiba, the main character of Sydney Hunter, and, you know, she gets hit by a train and she's reborn into Sydney Hunter, and I guess, like, she gets to become uh, a love interest or hangs around him. Uh, like, Sydney Hunter was very much, you know, there was a new sexy woman of the week kind of series, from what I've heard. So, like, I don't know, but it's it's kind of amusing. Like, a fangirl gets to go, you know, and hang out with, like, the rugged macho man of her dreams in, a, in, a, in like, a shonen fantasy manga. It's, like, pretty amusing. Can, can we please keep up this trend of, like, people dying and being reborn in manga? Because I, I really want this to become some kind of genre. Because I really like this yeah. idea. Because be- between this and like the whole being reborn as Yamcha, the manga, I- I'd be fine with more of this. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And in a surprise, Revolutionary Girl Utena is getting a new manga chapter in July. Huh. I assume it's because of the series' 20th anniversary this year. So I- in some respects, it's not too much of a surprise that it'd be something new for the series coming out. But yeah... Like a new chapter of the manga version is coming out in the September issue of uh, Shogakukun's Flowers magazine, which will be out on July 28th, from the original artist of the manga herself, Chio Saito. And uh, we have no news on, like, what the story of this new chapter will be about, but it'll, I guess it'll be some sort of epilogue to the series, which is pretty neat. It's kind of a shame that this couldn't have uh, come out and been collected in the collector's edition of the manga that was just recently released. But hopefully we might see a translation of it uh, sometime. Mm, that'd be cool. But speaking of manga coming back, uh, Hiromu Abakawa, the author of such hits as Full Metal Alchemist and uh, Silver Spoon, currently 
has uh, revealed some plans for what she has in store for Silver Spoon in the 41st issue of Fabri magazine, uh, which apparently came out on April 18th. Um, so apparently, she states in the magazine that she had planned to depict Hachiken's uh, first year in detail, and then basically kind of rush through his second year of high school, and then depict a very, like, kind of brief third year. And then after that, uh, the story will show uh, Hachiken and all the other characters after graduation, and uh, that's apparently, like, what she's drawing storyboards of at the moment. Yeah, so we're pretty much at this stage where we're going to go see Hachiken, you know, his first year out of high school, and, like, him running his business with Oikawa and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out, and then how the story goes into its conclusion from there. I, I was under the impression that, like, she meant as more of an epilogue thing, but then again, I, I actually haven't read Silver Spoon, I think, since since around that point where Hachiken, like, just started, like, trying to figure out his his business and whatnot, just because I, I just felt like, uh, I mean, if, if Silver Spoon's gonna be on these hiatuses, it's gonna... I mean, like, it's at that point in the story, if I'm correct, where it's probably going to end pretty soon, right? Yeah, we have been knowing that it's been heading towards a conclusion for what seems like a long time now, at least yeah. a year or two. So its ending is imminent, but when it'll actually end, we're not quite sure. But whenever it returns for its uh, serialization in Sunday, like, that last... I think that'll be the last, like, stretch of chapters whenever it returns again. I could see that. I thought it was also interesting that she also apparently explained that uh, she's considering a return to uh, the Square Enix after she finishes Silver Spoon and that, you know, she doesn't know what her next work will be yet. But basically, like, she has a lot of ideas for a lot of different stories. So I'm, I'm glad to see that she's, you know, not ready to stop being a manga creator yet. So anything she does, I'm basically going to follow her work. She does really good work. Yeah, she notes that she wants to draw a subject that no one has ever tackled before. Kind of like Silver Spoon itself, which was also like a subject I don't think many people have really tackled before in manga. So I'm very interested in seeing like what she'll choose to write about. Because she's a really skilled writer who is versatile in all sorts of genres. I mean, if, if you're going to have anyone create a comic about learning about agriculture at a farming school would it, it'd be from somebody who grew up on a farm so really interesting life experience too that translates to really interesting manga yeah i want to get back on silver spoon hopefully when it ends soon but uh, i'll probably do a reread honestly because i've i like i haven't read it in a while but i remember really loving it honestly like i kept up with it pretty weekly for a while because i was just that interested in it but i think that's about it for all of our serialization news um we Definitely have some licensing news this episode. Uh, some some titles that I I don't think any of us ever thought would ever get picked up. But what? Oh yeah, another tidal wave crashing down on us from Seven Seas. Seven Seas, you're drowning us in licenses, man. We, we can't keep up. We're like drowning under the weight of these licenses that are just suffocating us. Yes, Seven Seas, keep licensing more manga, but also Seven Seas, stop licensing so much manga. We can't keep up. <laughs> Um, but before we get to any of that, Yen Press licensed some interesting stuff if you want to talk about that real quick, Sid. Yeah, Yen Press licensed some ReZero spinoff novels called ReZero EX. They're about Lug Nika, King Candidate, uh, Krush Karsten, and her knight Ferris, you know, the uh, the cat boy guy. 
the cat trap, as uh, he's been nicknamed. <laughs> oh, that's 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 terrible, but great. And then, so uh, I guess it's going to be focused also on a boy who has had a profound influence on their lives, who is called Fourier, the poor prince of Lugnica. Then the second novel, the ReZero EX series, focuses on Wilhelm, who is uh, Crush's, like, butler assistant guy. So, yeah. I like those characters a lot, you know. Uh, the the whale arc, they were a lot of fun in that. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see some more backstory on them. Mm, well, that's good. More ReZero stuff. Uh, I guess we'll move on to uh, some Kodansha licenses. Uh, the first of which is actually uh, a new release that uh, came out a little recently that uh, you, you can buy digitally now called Albacoon's Confessions. Uh, from Emma Toyama, and the story I- itself is centered around a high school loner named Mayo, who has issues with communication, and so she begins work at apparently what's called a listening house, where uh, her job is to basically just listen to other people's problems, and uh, her first client being a uh, a boy named uh, Alba, who is apparently the star of the basketball team and is essentially probably, a, you know, a popular kid who has it all, and um, the story pretty much goes from there. So that that sounds like it could be kind of cute, kind of interesting. I was under the impression that this is probably it's probably going to be a romance title. And uh, like I said, you can uh, this is available now digitally. So for anyone who's interested in picking that up, you can do so. In terms of uh, future licenses, I guess uh, Kodansha also announced that they will be releasing uh, titles such as Kasane from Daruma Matsuda. A Real Girl by Mao Nanami, and This is a Love Story by Chika, and uh, they will all be released digitally on May 30th. Kasane is uh, is about the titular character Kasane, who is uh, apparently an ugly girl who is severely bullied by her classmates because of her appearance, and Kasane's beautiful late mother gave her apparently a tube of lipstick, and that lipstick changes her life, apparently. It's an interesting premise, okay? I, I'll have to read that. A uh, real girl follows a our character, uh, Hikari Sutsui, who is a high school boy who is, he's fine with all the all the 2D girls in anime and games. He's, he's basically an otaku. You know, he doesn't have a lot of friends, and uh, he just kind of lives in his own world. But one day, he meets a real girl, and, the, like, that's basically the story. <laughs> so that, that sounds pretty compelling. I don't know about you, Sid. Pulled out of the digital world by a real girl. But will he have an interest in streety girls after experiencing the perfectness of 2D? Who know now? A more gripping story has never been told. Um, the greatest love story of our generation. Yeah, I'm so tempted to go for the Twilight joke, but I'm sure that joke's overplayed at this point. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then lastly, we have This is a Love Story, which follows 31-year-old novelist uh, Shinichi, who is in a slump with uh, when a cat and a 10-year-old girl named Haruka show up at his house. Uh, his editor and childhood friend suggest that he uses Haruka as a model for his novel about love. So uh, am I the only one that's kind of weirded out by probably what this premise implies? Or, or am I reading too much into it? I think we're reading too much into it, but yeah, it's very hard not to get concerned about some uh, lolly love story thing going on here. I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, but the way that Kodansha has has the premise of this uh, series worded, I can't help but be a little worried. But it's a shoujo manga, so I 
like to think it's not going to be like that kind of series. It's probably just another kind of fodder taking care of his like, care of like a little girl kind of story. Which which can be done. It's been done right before. I'm looking at you, bunny drop. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, that it's cool that Kodansha just keeps picking up some more shoujo titles. That That is a good thing, yes. I do think it's great that Kodansha, like, it's expanding their catalog and, like, really tapping into more genres mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, Kodansha has really been licensing a lot of great stuff. And again, as well as Seven Seas. But again, moving on from that... Kodansha had announced previously that uh, they would be releasing their own release of uh, Battle Angel Alita in hardcover deluxe editions uh, this November. But apparently Kodansha has announced that its English release will be available digitally on Comixology and Kindle uh, before they come out physically. Specifically, the first three volumes are now available on Comixology for $10.99 each or free with a Comixology uh, premium membership. And that uh, volumes four through six will be released in August, along with uh, six through nine releasing in October. So that's cool. People can go read that now. Yeah, I actually have the original Wiz editions of the first three volumes, so it'll be interesting to compare with Kodansha's re-release and the changed translation. Yeah, because uh, like we said last last time we talked about this, we know for sure that Kodansha is you know retranslated the series uh, via Stephen Paul, who is the translator of such works as uh, One Piece in uh, Viz's Weekly Shonen Jump. Mm-hmm. So, so we know that the translation will be good. Oh yes. Yeah, it's a lot to look forward to. Like, Alita is a real blast from the past. It's great to see a re-release of such a classic manga. But Seven Seas is stepping in and not giving us re-releases of classic manga, but they're giving us classic manga for the first time ever printed in English, including the granddaddy of them all, Devil Man. Yes, the original Gonagai manga is coming out in a deluxe two hardcover omnibus edition called Devil Man, the classic collection, and the first volume is slated for March 6, 2018. You know, guys, we had planned a Devil Man manga fight for this June, but after this news, we had to push it back to next March because this is big deal, man. The classic Gona Guy series, Devil Man, is coming out for the first time legally in the West. It's pretty exciting stuff. And also, Seven Seasons is... St- bringing us even more Devil Man because they're bringing us the Devil Man versus Hades, a standalone sequel manga as well, which is going to be released in a single volume softcover edition on February 13, 2018. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what, what happens in Devil Man versus Hades. A title sort of probably gives me a sense of what might happen, but uh, the manga will apparently feature a showdown between Devil Man and Mazinga Z, which is all sorts of awesome. Yeah, that, so, that's actually kind of cool. I want to see that. I, I do want to point out real quick that with Devilman G also coming out this October 17th of this year, um, that's three Devilman titles. Yeah, three Devilman titles. In just one year, we're going from having zero Devilman in English to three Devilman manga English. That's pretty great. It's like a go-nagai renaissance here. But we're also getting a Leiji Matsumoto renaissance because the original Captain Harlock manga is going to be put out in two deluxe hardcover omnibus editions as well. There's no set release date for that yet, but Seven Seas is also releasing Captain Harlock Dimensional Voyage, which is an ongoing title as well. So 
two Harlock going on at the same time as well. This is pretty great stuff. That's pretty amazing, honestly. And then they just blew me away with this next one because they are going to be releasing Saint Seiya Saint a Show, a spinoff of Saint Seiya focusing on female saints who are cast with protecting Athena. And that they're going to be putting that out on February 6, 2018. And I was not expecting any of the Saints Bay uh, side spin-off manga ever to get released over here because the original Saint Seiya didn't sell necessarily great. Saint Seiya isn't necessarily a big property in the US, but they're going for it. We're getting a Saint Seiya spin-off manga in English in 2018, and I'm like, whoa. I was gonna say, yeah, that surprised me that anything Saint Seiya was picked up as well. Yeah, unfortunately, Saint Seiya doesn't, doesn't really do as well here. I mean, we, we all know it's like, it definitely a lot more popular in like Spanish countries for some reason. Those countries really love Saint Seiya. But yeah, that's, it's really good to see more Saint Seiya stuff coming out. Once I read more Saint Seiya, I'm, I'm planning on hopefully reading some more soon. I'll, I'll probably check this out. I'm super excited for this because. We don't get to see too many female saints in the original manga, so a series focusing on just female saints sounds pretty cool. It's like Saint Seiya was a magical boys manga, and now we're taking the magical girls side of it, so that's pretty cool. But Seven Seas also has some other really cool manga that aren't necessarily related to classic manga, but they're all related to monsters uh, in some way or another, which is pretty interesting. The first one of these being Giant Spider in Me by Kikori Morino, which the first volume is slated for February 20th, and it's about a young girl named Nagi and her giant spider companion who live together in the mountains and, you know, just spend their days sharing tea and throwing picnics, having a good time in a post-apocalyptic world. So that sounds like pretty cute and with a dark tinge to it, which is a good combination. But we also got a fantasy side of that with the story Fauna and the Dragonute Seven Kingdoms by Kiyohisa Tanaka. The first volume of that is slated for January 16, 2018. It takes place in a future where humans aren't the dominant species. Dragons have evolved to become the rulers of the world. And then one day an archaeologist from the Dragonute race, who is fascinated with studies of the past, befriends a young human girl, adopts her, gives her a name, and they explore the world together. Sounds like a cool fantasy story. And then finally, we have the Ultra Kaiju Anthropomorphic Project, which is a series about anthropomorphized kaiju from the Ultraman series. Yeah, that's basically the premise. It's just like the monsters from Ultraman imagine as cute girls. Yep. So that the first volume of that is going to come out on February 20th, 2018. And, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty cute and fun as well. It's cool to see more things related to Ultraman, even tangentially related to Ultraman, come out here. So that's also really good. And another thing that, you know, Seven Seas is really pulling out all the stops, like bringing some more classic titles or and series related to classic titles over to the West, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, that, that sounds like the kind of thing that would exist. You don't sound very enthusiastic about seeing the monsters from Ultraman as cute girls. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't know. It just 
<laughs> I mean, I don't, I, not, not, not that I'm like, oh, it's, this is going to be bad. I'm just like, I don't know, that, that kind of thing, it really isn't, like, up my alley. Like, let's take these things and turn them into cute anime girls. Like, that's just not really for me. But, you know, like, uh, if, if everyone else likes them, I, it's nothing wrong with that. It's just not for me. Well, there are weirder things to turn into cute anime girls, for sure. Like what? You want you want to name one? I want to see. What, I want to see what you come up with. Uh, you could turn like books into anime girls. You could turn. You can turn technology like calculators or printers. You can turn chairs into anime girls. <laughs> you know, my friend was showing me like anthropomorphized fruit girls porn yesterday. Wait, what? Why are you friends with this person? <laughs> I don't know. I I just don't know. Um, okay, so 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 books being turned into cute anime girls. I think I could get into just because it's so weird. Honestly, it it it, ha- it has to be the right kind of weird. You know what I mean? I, don't, I have very weird tastes. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving on from all of our uh, licensing news again. A lot a lot of great stuff from Seven Seas and uh, and Kodansha. Uh, looking forward to a lot of those. But uh, so it looks like, according to the Japanese Magazine Publishers Association, or JIMPA, um, Weekly Shonen Jump's circulation has dropped below 2 million. And uh, apparently the uh, verified average circulation number for, for the period of January through March 2017th was at specifically 1,915,000. And uh, just kind of uh, looking at the chart in front of me here, it looks like a like the basically the top three Shonen magazines, you know, Jump, Shonen Magazine, and Shonen Sunday, in general, are just kind of uh, dropping in terms of circulation numbers, which is uh, kind of disheartening to see. I feel especially bad for um, Shonen Sunday because it seems like they've dropped over like one hundred thousand in in circulation. Uh, Sunday already has enough problems, and I just. Man, you just really gotta feel sorry for Shonen Sunday. Well, actually, interestingly enough, between the periods that they've shown, uh, from January 2014 to March 2017, Sunday has lost 150 in circulation, 150,000, but Jump has lost 800,000. So in terms of overall loss, Jump has lost, uh, significantly more. But the general thing that to look at like this trend is that just generally print is in decline, but that doesn't necessarily mean the manga industry is in decline or these publishers are necessarily in decline because we also have to take into account digital numbers and we don't really know about how uh, well digital equivalents are selling these days. But I just feel that a lot of people are just moving digital now and not bothering with print, which, you know, we know that these magazines are not printed in the best quality that's that's so fair. if you can get higher quality digital equivalents that may even be cheaper then that probably it's it's not too much of a choice to make i guess i have an issue of weekly shonen jump from like 2011 and i can confirm that yeah the paper quality is not that great and uh like we should also put in the context like these are basically printed like people who collect shonen jump magazine in in japan like you're like they're not really meant to be like collected like you're you're kind of expected to like recycle them so so they're not really expected to be kept but so which is which is why i think they're probably printed on the not so best kind of paper but that's just me but yeah i i do agree with what you but with what you're laying down sid like 
it, it is unfortunate to see these drops in numbers, but it's, it's like you said, like we have to keep in mind, like a lot of these publications are going digital now and some people just kind of prefer reading, uh, reading, the, reading the, some of their magazines that way. But I'm sure this is probably going to feed into what I think is kind of the, the irrational fear of everything going digital. And, but I like, I like reading books and I like physical books. Oh no, they're going to die. <laughs> digital is bad, guys. I just, I, 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 I can't get over how people freak out about that kind of thing because remember, digital's not bad. It's convenient. But I mean, yeah. like, at, at some point, we're probably saving a lot of trees by going digital. So maybe that really is the way to go in the future. But Sid, my nostalgia. Will nostalgia save trees? Are, will you? Are you really willing to kill trees for just to satiate your nostalgia? N- nostalgia can save anything. Did, did you not? Are you willing to murder for nostalgia, Colton? Uh, I'd say people are willing to do most things for nostalgia. Unfortunately, it's you don't you don't you do not want to fuck with nostalgia. Honestly, oh dear, it's terrible. Okay. But uh, moving on from that, uh, we got some pretty awesome news. Um, so Anime Expo is coming up. Um, I believe that's on the weekend of July 1st through the 4th in Los Angeles. And uh, apparently Anime Expo will be hosting the co-creator, specifically the writer of Food Wars, otherwise known as Shokukeki no Soma, Yuto Tsukuda. Uh, he will be participating in a panel and will have autograph sessions. So if you're a fan of Food Wars and you've been thinking about going to Anime Expo, you should probably go so you can meet the writer, maybe get something signed. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm glad that Wiz has been arranging for more manga to come over in recent years. We had Kishimoto and uh, Matsui past two years at New York Comic Cons. Now we're getting Sukuda. It's pretty cool just to see Mangaka come over here and like interact with Western fans. I enjoy like getting to meet the creators and like attending panels featuring them and you know the autograph uh, signings and stuff. Now, now if only we can get Kenta Shinahara, let's let's get that to happen. That'd be amazing. Maybe it could. I mean, like Astro Lost in Space is picking up and. I think, in popularity. That, that would be pretty cool. Uh, speaking of other guests for Anime Expo, uh, Bookwalker announced that uh, Fujino Omori, the author of Is It Wrong to Try to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, the light novel series, will be attending as well. Uh, he will participate in the panel and also have autograph sessions, and uh, uh, the convention appearance will be uh, Omori's first time in North America, apparently. And in addition to hosting Omori, uh, Bookwalker will hold a stamp rally, and participants who uh, fill their card will receive an exclusive character pin. So even get some goods out of that. Yeah, it's also cool to see more light novel authors come over here too. I attended the uh, panel of the Spice and Wolf creator at New York Comic Con last year. He was a super fun dude. You can go back and listen to uh, episode 18 of the podcast where I went into more detail about that. But yeah, it's, it's always cool to see, uh, you know, mangaka and light novel authors come over and like do panels and interact with the fans. A lot of them are really fun, awesome dudes. Like, could you imagine if they got the authors of, you know, such works as like Sword Art Online or ReZero to attend these conventions? I can't imagine, like, the turnout for those wouldn't be great. Yeah. I was worried I wouldn't get into the Mo- using Matsui panel. I can't imagine how big the line would be for, like, a the Sword Art of the Line panel. 
I think over time, ReZero would, uh, if uh, if they brought over the author of that light novel series, I think he'd probably get some great reception too. Yeah, I think so as well. But uh, hey, some cool guests coming from, coming to Anime Expo, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. Earlier, I mentioned that I never expected that we'd get any Saint Seiya spinoff manga, but that had always been more of a plausibility to me than the idea that we'd get a Saint Seiya live-action Hollywood film. Wait, what? Yeah, they're making it. Toei Animation and a Chinese distribution company, a really good film company, <laughs> uh, acronym RG. ARGF is co-producing the film. It's going to be directed by the Polish director Tomek Bagenski, who has previously directed the Academy Award winning nominated short animation Katedra. It's also going to have some involvement from Convergence Entertainment too. Uh, at least two people from there are going to be executive producers. But yeah, this is a Hollywood English language live action film. And it's happening. It's it's Saint Seiya. Saint Seiya live action is happening in in English. It's like, what is this world I'm living in? That we're getting classic manga from Seven Seas. We're getting Hollywood live action films of of classic manga like Saint Seiya. What what is happening? Are we living in the otaku world prophesized by otaku no video? Is that what's happening right now? I, I mean, what's next? A live action Kochikame movie? Like. I don't know. I, I think anything's possible at this point. Now, admittedly, you know, this is an announcement. You know, we shouldn't count our chickens before they hatch. You know, all these kind of things get announced all the time. But whether they come to fruition, it's a rare chance. But, like, considering Toei is having more active involvement in this, I feel like it will. They seem to be bringing in some outsiders. feel like they maybe are, are t- taking time... Or, or have put thought into like how they what they want to accomplish with this film. Who how are they going to market it? And Zach Burstree mentioned on Twitter that like you know if they make this film to appeal to Latin American audiences, that it would be the ideal way to go. That would like really help like its international success. Yeah. The, so, yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's no way that like. I, I can't. I can't imagine that. Like you know, they actually think. Oh yeah, this will definitely do well in America. Like I, I, I agree with Zach when he says, "Yeah," because I, I even joked about it earlier. Like, yeah, Saint Seiya is notoriously a lot more famous in Latin American countries. So I mean, it, it'd be kind of weird if they didn't go for that market. Yeah, and specifically related to that, because I think they're going to make it to appealing to an international audience and not just the U.S. domestic audience, I think that they probably won't, like, try and Americanize the series too much. They're going to keep it, like, broad appealing enough so that they can market it in other countries. Uh, so they're not just going to focus on the American audience, but, like, they're going to focus on selling it to a global audience. And I think that change in perspective is something that films like Dragon Ball Evolution and Ghost in the Shell completely failed to do. Oh, yeah. Like, they focused on, uh, Americans are too dumb to understand Ghost in the Shell, and uh, Dragon Ball's too weird 
for most Americans. So, so let's make, uh, Dragon Ball more like a Spider-Man and, uh, with these more conventional kung fu story elements. Yeah, let's put Goku in high school. That's more relatable. <laughs> and let's completely change what Ghost in Shell is about and make it like, uh, corporations and technology is, is bad. Cor- they're going to s- steal our personal liberty and freedoms. Technology is dangerous. Er, whatever. Yeah, those those are both uh, pretty terrible movies. Though I would argue that Dragon Ball Evolution is uh, especially egregious because I'm actually a fan of Dragon Ball, and it just hurts every time I'm reminded that it exists. I was more offended by Ghost in the Shell, honestly. Yeah, I will agree that Ghost in the Shell is actually probably more offensive, but they're both pretty terrible. Yeah, so hopefully the Saints yeah, won't be terrible. I mean, you know, the track record isn't good nope. with you know live action adaptations of anime movies in the west but you know toei's learned their lesson from dragon ball evolution and they're gonna take a more hands-on approach with this so i have a little more hope i can't say whether i think this will be like a good movie or not but i'm i don't think it'll be at least i hope it won't be terrible yeah that's all we can hope for so it's cool to see more projects with more direct input from the japanese side yeah and kickstarter is going to make that even more viable because now kickstarter will allow projects to directly launch from japan later this year before kickstarter projects from japanese creators had to have a middleman outside as outside of japan in the form of just another person or organization you know to head the project or like kind of centralize the organization for it. But now projects can launch directly from Japan. No need for a middleman. That's just going to make Kickstarter projects for independent anime productions, or you can fund more cool short film anime from Japan now. It would be so much easier for Japanese creators. So, yeah, it's that's pretty cool. Good change, Kickstarter. Yeah, hopefully it'll lead to some good things. Also, it'll hopefully lead to some good things is this new ALS research fund uh, that has been set up in conjunction with the manga Space Brothers called the Serica Fund. The Serica Fund is going to be an activity to gather research and development funds to find ways to treat ALS. And uh, the editorial department of Kitanshu's Morning Magazine, where Space Brothers runs, is collaborating on the project. And the project's selling, you know, a bunch of merchandise to help raise funds for ALS research. Which uh, also includes a set of foreign editions of the manga and stickers, which is pretty cool. And this is pretty relevant to Space Brothers because there are two char- major characters in uh, Space Brothers that have had ALS. One is Serica's father, who Serica's the female protagonist of Space Brothers. Her f- father passed away from the disease and she became an astronaut, you know, to find possible cure and treatment for the disease. And then of c- the mentor of the Space Brothers, Sharon, also was diagnosed with ALS uh, late into the series. So this is uh, pretty cool that the series, you know, had already tackled uh, this disease. But now that it's also setting up a fund to help raise uh, funds for, you know, helping with research and finding, like, uh, a cure for treating it, that's pretty cool. Also what's pretty cool is a... New manga library planned to be the world's largest manga library that's going to be 
built at a former uh, grade school in the town of Nakatokushima. And uh, this project is going to have like over 300,000 manga books at this library, which will be even more manga than what the Kyoto International Manga Museum has. Mm. And the project is planned for completion at the end of the 2018 fiscal year. And it's going to include everything from the classics to the new stuff. It's going to be, that's pretty cool. I'd love to visit this manga library someday. Probably have every manga imaginable. Yeah, I wish, wish we had a awesome manga library over here. Yeah, I wonder what the largest manga library in the U.S. is. Or at least what library has the most manga. That'd be interesting to find out. Definitely none of the libraries in my area, let me tell you that. Even more, who owns the most manga in the U.S., maybe? Who Whose collection is the biggest? That would be really interesting to find out. Think yours is? Send us uh, your count of your collection to mangamavericks at gmail.com. Share, share your pictures of your collections and how many manga volumes you have. That'd be fun to see, fun to take statistics of. Or even uh, tweet at us at uh, manga underscore mavericks and uh, we'll, we'll retweet your collection. Yeah, me and V-Lord are nearing uh, almost... We're getting closer to our goal of getting almost a thousand manga volumes. We're just surpassed nine hundred after this weekend. So I don't even think I have that yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to do a count of mine again, but I think the last time I checked, which was probably like a year or two ago at this point, it's probably changed. But I know I don't have nine hundred. Probably, probably more around around like three hundred, maybe four hundred, somewhere around there. I know I I know I have over 200 manga volumes like in my room right now. I need to get more shelves. See that see that's the thing. I I filled almost all my shelves at this point, so that's why I try to buy more things digitally if I'm like starting a new series. I really only buy physical copies if it's a manga that I know that I want to own. Mm-hmm. So I I have to, I'm personally a little more selective with what I buy physically, but that's just me. Problem with me is that there's a lot of manga I want to own. <laughs> that's I'm gonna that's be fair. drowning in them. I'm not if I'm not already drowning in them. Like I, I it's like today before we recorded the show, I was even thinking about like buying all of Berserk, and then I'm like, I want to own Berserk, but I don't know if I have room for almost forty volumes of Berserk. I mean, I just bought. What I had? How many manga did we buy just this weekend? It had to have been at least like sixty. Jesus, volumes. really? <laughs> I don't know. We bought a lot. Wow. Even I don't. <laughs> even I've never bought that much at one at one time. <laughs> I think the most manga I've ever bought at one time was probably twenty. I mean, you you guys go all in. Yeah. Put put me to shame. I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or something to be proud of or something to be shameful for not doing. I don't know. But yeah, at, at that point, it's just like I could have bought like food for myself for, for three months on this money I spent on books. I guess I'll have to eat these books. <laughs> In my defense, uh, you know, they well, the manga we bought were all pretty cheap. That's fair. You know, yeah, they were they were like three dollars or less. Ooh, yeah, so that- that's why we bought so many of them. That's that's a pretty good deal. I I bought like like I said on the podcast before. Like I I ended up buying most of GTO for like five volumes of pop. So I like yeah. I couldn't turn that down. Yeah, but man, uh, we bought a lot of manga not only physically but digitally as well. Because uh, when Rakugo Shinju first came out digitally, I snapped that up right away. Oh, me too. I know Colton did too. Yep. 
And without further ado, why not talk about the first volume of Rakugo Shinju, known in the U.S. as Descending Stories, as the first volume has just recently been released in print by Kodansha USA. Join us, friends, as we discuss descending stories. Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, Volume 1. A recent release from Kodansha USA, fresh off the trails of the hit anime, the manga by Haruko Kumota. So, I guess, um, I feel like we've probably explained it on the show before, but um, I guess, well, first off, do we want to explain just what exactly Rakugo is? Yes, Rakugo is a classical Japanese style of uh, kind of oral storytelling. It's kind of like doing a one-man show, a one-man kind of comedic routine, where the uh, performance artist, he regales a story, and he acts out all the characters in the story. And so it's all about the art of weaving the audience into the narrative of the story, making them believe that you are becoming these different characters, just making that transition all seamless. And it's a very high level of skill that it takes to like really pull off these stories with the kind of technique and kind of like fluid performance that we witness in the series from the high-level masters who are referred to as she shows. But basically, this is this is kind of my like poor attempt at like trying to explain to the average Joe what Rakugo is. Basically, basically think of Rakugo as a combination of classic theater and stand-up. Yes, basically. Yeah, except more emphasis on I think the classical theater angle because you know. Whereas stand up, you know, you're you're just telling a few jokes, and you know, you're, you're kind of telling a story, you know, like uh, I guess depending on what kind of comedy you go for. But Rocco is more classical theater, and where like you're actually is like Sid said, you're basically just one guy sitting in front of an audience trying to portray multiple characters and trying to tell a whole story. Sometimes, sometimes they end on a. Um, and on a punchline, others are a little more sensual. Otherwise, uh, others are a little more somber. Um, they're not all comedy, but there, there, are, there are different kinds of stories you could tell within the um, style of Rakugo. Yeah, so I guess um, and that's basically what that is. Um, so what exactly is the story of Rakugo Shinjusid? Yes, a young man who loved Rakugo from 
childhood, pretty much. His father used to listen to it all the time, and so he got into it. You know, he's been in prison, and after hearing the performance of a shisho called Yakumo, who attended the prison and gave an astounding performance, he was really impressed. So after he gets out of prison, uh, this man, young man, seeks out Yakumo and asks to be his apprentice. And he's nicknamed Yotaro, which is a Rakugo character archetype, which basically means a very foolish man, because he is kind of like a, uh, aloof, foolish, lovable little idiot. And so the story of Rakugo Shinjo is uh, that Yotaro is trying to learn from Yakumo his style of Rakugo performance, but then ultimately also starts adopting the style of one of Yakumo's contemporaries and uh, an old friend of his called Suke Roku. And that perturbs uh, Yakumo a little bit. Because as we will explore later on to the series, he and Suke Roku had a very uh, troubled relationship. Uh, it had a, it had its ups and downs, and it ended on a very uh, bad note. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they had sort of a rivalry going on here and there, right? And so, in this first volume, we don't know the full details of what happened to Suke Roku. But uh, his daughter, uh, Konatsu, is living with Yakumo. She was taken in by Yakumo after her parents' death. And she resents Yakumo because she believes he was the reason her parents died. Like, either that he killed them or that he caused them to die. So she is trying to find out the truth about her parents' death. And is also trying to preserve her father's memory and her his style of performance of Rakugo by practicing Rakugo herself. And she's very good at it. But unfortunately, in the world of Rakugo, the women aren't, like, very respected in the field. Like, women aren't really allowed to perform Rakugo. Rakugo is very traditionalist that way. Yeah, and Suke Roku, I mean, no, uh, Yakumos expressly forbids her to do it. And so she has a lot of resentment towards that because she loves Rakugo. She loves performing Rakugo, but because she's a woman, she's not allowed to. And so there's also some uh, commentary on, like, challenging these traditional, like, gender roles and these confining stereotypes in the series as well. And her character arc is really strong, and it's very well presented in this first volume as well, alongside Yotaro's. Yeah, so just to kind of put some more context out there, uh, me and Sid are pretty big fans of um, of the anime adaptation that premiered um, at this point, I think a year ago. I think the first season premiered in uh, in 2016 with season two premiering uh, a couple months back and has ended pretty recently, um, mm-hmm. pretty much. I from what I from what I can see, basically covering all of the story. But you know, uh, just we're probably going to be making a lot of comparisons to the anime because uh, the first volume, um, like in terms of in terms of the material uh, that I caught from the first episode of the anime, there really isn't a ton of it in here. Like there are very few moments in the manga that I recognize from the anime because there's. As I think we've probably mentioned on the show before when we discussed the initial announcement of this license, uh, 
it, it's to be to believe that because uh, the first episode of the anime itself was 40 minutes long. It was a double premiere. Basically, everything leading up to uh, the giant flashback that the entirety of the first season is with uh, with Yakumo's origins of how he became a Rakugo master in his relationship of Skeroku. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of mentioned before that uh, and um, I wish I, I probably should have tried to confirm this, but it's um, it's to be believed that like there's like a there's like a full like I want to say like hundred minute cut of like uh, of the first episode that includes more material. Yes, uh, that I'm I guess is probably on like the home release or something um, because there's a there's a lot of fluff comparatively in this first volume of the manga. But I kind of appreciate it, honestly. I thought that the way the anime handled it was very masterful. I think they knew just what to cut out. And I think that's a good thing with adaptations. Because a lot of the material here that is in the first volume that is not in the anime, I don't necessarily think is that important. And I think, in fact, a lot of detail is given away in these moments that... I felt had more impact when it was saved for later. Uh, specifically, like, moments when Konatsu is talking with a geisha who used to be friends with uh, her parents and is discussing whether she knows what happened to them and discussing her mother a little bit. I think, like, saving some revelations about Miyokichi to later on and what kind of character she had was something that the anime did well. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that moment in particular is in the first episode of the anime. Is it? Yeah, yeah, where she's where she's talking to the geisha. I, I think it might have been a little shorter, but I, I know that was included. Hmm. Well, the moments that I recognize... I mean, there are a lot of moments in this uh, episode, I mean, this first volume, that I remember pretty well from the anime. And I feel like that the anime really took what was great about him and like because that the anime could go far enough to like show the rock girl performances it took this it took a good story and elevated to a a more transcendent experience because at the climax of this first volume is when yakimo i I mean no uh when Yotaro is giving his first really good Rakugo performance. And it's, yes, he's under a lot of pressure because he's performing it for his old Aniki who wants him to rejoin his gang and like looks down on Rakugo and doesn't see the appeal of it. And his performance is so good. He manages to make his Aniki laugh and like recognize, okay, I can get why you're good at this. I can get why you want to do this. So, so in the manga, we see, uh, this performance a little bit, but it's only a, from a few brief snippets. But in the anime, this is a 10 minute sequence and we see the full performance. We see the entire story, everything that Yotaro does all uh, to perform and from start to finish. And I just thought, like that was so powerful in like making you as a viewer like understand okay we're in the same position as this Anaki guy we are not totally sold on board with the magic of Rakugo as a as a medium of art yet so let's show the viewers what the potential of Rakugo and let's like 
put them in the seat of the characters watching Yotaro performing this and watch this entire performance beginning to end. And it's like, that was, that was like the moment I think everyone can point, pointed to when they said, yeah, Rakugo Shinjo, this show is something to keep an eye on. This is something special. So the manga doesn't necessarily go that far. And of course, because it's a soundless medium as a manga, you know, we can't hear the performance. What the manga does to distinguish uh, the Rakugo performances is that they use different fonts, which is also a good idea, but you just don't get the same... It's just not the same as hearing a voice actor, like, change their tone of voice and the subtleties of, like, a vocal performance. It just doesn't capture that quite as well. So I think, like, the core story of Rakugo Shinju is really great, but to immerse yourself within the art of the Rakugo performed in the series and, like, the atmosphere that the series is going for, I think the anime really took this material to a whole nother level. Oh, yeah, that was that was definitely something I noticed while reading the first volume of Rakugo as well, is that, yeah, like, it, it didn't click with me until the Rakugo performances uh, really began that, th- like, it makes sense that uh, these actual performances, I think, are just, the, the anime was able to do a lot more with them and was able to make the viewer feel a little more immersed in the experience. Whereas in like, you know, like I just want to say now, like the manga is pretty good and I enjoyed reading it. And I think there, I think it has a lot of uh, merits to it, but I feel like the medium of comics in general is, it's still a bit limiting when it comes to this kind of form of entertainment, like stuff like this and music you know, anything involving sound, I think it's just, unfortunately, it's really the one thing that I think that I can think about the top of my head that like, comics as a medium just is just kind of limited in trying to represent. So I like that the anime was able to represent this experience a little more thoroughly. Um, it's definitely one of the more key differences between the anime and the manga for this series. But I think that I think the manga itself is still a very a very fun read like the like the panel layouts and the composition is always very interesting to look at and always keeps my attention yeah i think it's a very well done manga it has a very nice soft feel to the art which is very akin to what i have come to recognize in a lot of like skilled older female mangaka or specifically like especially stuff from bl cuz the uh, mangaka Haruko Kumota was uh, a formerly a BL mang- mangaka, and so you know it, you can really see like some of that soft touch and some of the sultriness to her male characters uh, in the in the art of Rakugo Shinju. Some of the interactions in Rakugo, I, I felt like, kind of really uh, really represented that a little bit, like. Like with, with with that context in mind, some of the interactions between like Yakumo and Yotaro, and then uh, then when you add like Mangetsu later in the mix, and him being all like, "Oh well, you know, I, I could be your pet," and it's like that kind of stuff. I just kind of chuckle at because it's like, "Oh yeah, she used to she she used to do BL." So this is so having that context makes this kind of uh, makes me kind of chuckle a bit because it's it's very playful and flirtatious that way and i i kind of enjoy that almost somehow yes the manga is way more playful and a little more humorous than 
the anime adaptation. It feels more like a cartoon, almost. Yes. The anime takes a more dramatic, a slightly more serious vibe to the material. And so a lot of uh, the humor in the manga, where characters will just make these weird comedic faces, or like something will be played off as a joke, uh, a lot of that in the anime is just not played quite as comedically. Like, there, and there's a lot more subtleties to uh, character interactions in the anime. Uh, one thing I noticed in particular with Yakimo is that his personality is a lot more openly sarcastic and, like, uh, humorous. Whereas in the anime, he had more of a distant air to him, and a lot of his humor was a lot more dry and understated. So I noticed a fundamental difference in characterization there that I found very interesting. And there were also some moments in the first volume that played out a little differently in terms of tone from the first episode of the anime. For example, when Yotaro's Aniki comes and tries to take him back, there's a little more humor in those exchanges, whereas in the anime, this is presented a little more, a little more like concretely dramatic. When, uh, when the Aniki says, uh, Rakugo's stupid, you should just come with me, we first see in the manga, Yotaro make kind of a silly, like, crying kind of face, you know? And that's not something, like, we really see. In the anime, it's like, this feels like a moment that, like, cuts as a knife. It, it cu- And, like, immediately adds a layer of tension in the scene. So there are, like, tonal differences in how the material plays out. That's also very interesting. Whichever version you prefer, I guess, just depends on your taste. But I think both are good approaches, I was going to say, I, I do agree that that moment in particular doesn't cut as deep as it did in the anime, but I still feel like uh, there's still a bit more tension in that moment. Like, oh, well, when he says, oh, yeah, Rocco's stupid. Why are you even bothering with it? Like, I still feel like it's still kind of it still cuts enough, I feel like. But I will agree that uh, that moment in the anime definitely had more bite to it, because like you said, that entire scene in general is just a lot more. It's a lot more dramatic in tone comparatively. There is tension, but where it starts and ends, it's like introduced with like a comedic, it's like a comedic like joke. And then it ends with like some comedic like exchange. So there's like, it kind of mixes the tone a little bit. So whereas in the anime, it's more of a concrete tone. Yeah, I can see that. I still feel like I was able to take a lot of the story seriously, but... I, I wonder I wonder for people who are fans of the anime, I wonder if the more like cartoony nature of the um of the of the facial expressions and just kind of the character art in general might maybe turn people off somehow, maybe. Hmm. I it's not like Rakugo Shinju was devoid of humor as an adaptation. That's in true. fact it was quite funny very frequently. I think that, you know, a lot of these faces like, a lot of the humor in the manga is pretty enjoyable. It's just that some of the differences in characterization that result from it might throw people off. Like, I was a little bit thrown off by how different Yakumo came across as a character in the manga than he does in the anime. Like, how he feels more open emotionally. Like, he he, he doesn't feel quite as distant, as reserved, as, like, lo- lost deep in his thought. As in the anime, in the manga, he's just 
he doesn't seem like quite that distant figure. Yeah, I was kind of interested in that too. Like, like it really seems like he kind of even enjoys spending time with Yotaro, even though he's always like, "Oh well, I, I I would never take an apprentice." Oh well, I don't know how this happened, but I guess it happened. Oh, I guess I'll go buy robes with you. Like he's a little more, uh, he's a little more playful about that kind of thing, where he's kind yeah. of like, "I I guess I'll do this." Where, yeah, I definitely agree. Whereas in the anime, he's definitely a lot more distant and. Uh, definitely does not spend as much time interacting with other people. He really likes to kind of keep to himself. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I kind of enjoyed like little moments with him, you know, going out with Yotaro and buying his robes and uh, kind of interacting with him a little bit more. I, I, I enjoyed, I think I might've enjoyed that change a bit as far as the manga goes. Cause like I said, there's, there's a lot of fluff comparatively uh, between the two, but I think I, I think what fluff was there, I, I kind of enjoyed almost. Yeah, I I don't think it's a bad characterization at all. It's just it threw me off because it was different from the anime. There's a particular exchange that felt almost out of character because of what I had come from, to expect from the anime, where uh, Yakimo is talking with the son of a aging Shisho who is in poor health and looks to be retiring soon. And Yakimo is telling, you know, Rakugo as an art form is dying and we're losing people every day so if we're gonna die if Rakugo is gonna die and we're gonna die with it then we might as go out in a blaze of glory I'm paraphrasing there but like the way he says it, it it's a lot more casual and like it isn't something I had expected Yakumo to really say like that way yeah I guess I could see your point there that is kind of interesting yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the biggest change going from the anime to the manga is, yeah, that characterization in, in Yakumo is definitely very interesting. Um, I really can't help but, like, when I read, when I read the first volume of this manga, you know, already having watched all of the anime, I'm like, I'm really looking for a lot of, like, and I won't say anything specific, just because uh, I don't want to spoil anybody who may have only read the first volume, but... Uh, I will say that I am really looking for, like, a lot of, like, little bits of foreshadowing to certain revelations later in the series. And uh, now that I've seen all the material, I'm a little more eagle-eyed about that kind of thing. And there are definitely some, like, some interactions in the first volume that make me believe that, oh, well, certain things that are revealed later, huh, yeah, I wonder if this was, like, foreshadowing or whatever. Mm-hmm. So those are those are kind of interesting uh, to find, at least. I don't. I don't know if you were looking for those at all, Sid. I was looking for seeds of like the future plot stuff and like setup. I think a lot. Some things are more explicit. Like they outright say that Yakimo is planning a double suicide with Rakugo, which I don't think was made explicit at the beginning of the anime. It's something that we came to realize as the story goes on. Hmm. Yeah, and. I think it's safe to say that a lot of this first volume is basically a lot of setup for a lot of future events because we're basically it's basically a lot of a lot of introduction and setup to the characters and Yotaro's fascination of Rakugo and him uh, beginning to hone his craft and also the kind of like kind of kind of the setup and introduction of Kanatsu and uh, Yakumo's relationship which I won't say much all I'll say is it's there's a lot of layers to it, and uh, most of the time it's not a happy one. Mm-hmm. 
there's a there's a lot to dig into there, especially uh, the further you uh, read on. Mm-hmm. But in this first volume, we get a sense of particularly resentment and uh, some begrudging respect or envy of Yotaro on Kanatsu's end. Because she wishes she could probably be in his position. She could be an apprentice and perform Rakugo. And so, sort of vicariously, by teaching him Suke Roku's style of Rakugo, she's having him do something she can, kind of live, live on, live, she's like trying to make her dream, her, live her dreams and kind of achieve her revenge through him in, a, in some way. But yes, this really is a lot of introduction, a lot of we getting uh, weaved into the uh, ongoing narrative here, like like it's it's like this uh, first volume. It doesn't even co- uh, the first episode of the anime like covers this and even more material afterwards. Like this is this first volume really only amounts to maybe half the first uh, episode of the anime, which it was a double length episode. So, but still, this, uh, this only correlates to about half an episode of the first episode of the anime. So, there's a lot more story after this, and it'll be interesting to see, since Descending Stories is a 10-volume series, uh, how the pacing is like for the rest of the series. Whether the second volume will correlate to the second half of the first episode of the anime, and then from there, like, how the pacing is. I think that the differences between the manga and anime are really interesting and in how they portray and they present the same story. So I'm very, going to be very interested in comparing the two as I read along with the official releases. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to be keeping up with this release. Um, you know, like we said earlier, like, I think uh, this this was a cool thing Kodansha did. Like, they... They they basically released this first volume like a couple of months back at this point digitally. Um, I think I got it for like half price or something because I I think mm-hmm. they were I think they were selling it for like six bucks at the time as a part of a sale. So I was like, there's no way I'm not going to get this. Um, but um, yeah, definitely by the time I think I think even while we're recording this, like the first volume is already out physically. Yes. Um, so I need to get on ordering that. So I, I wish we could have gotten, or at least I wish I could have gotten, um, I don't know, Sid, do you have this book physically yet, or? Not yet. I pre-ordered it a couple months back, but it hasn't shipped yet. Okay. Yeah, I, I wish one of us could have gotten the, the actual physical book, so we could have maybe talked more about the actual physical release, but I'm sure that, like, I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty similar to what we have in the digital release. So I don't think it'll be too different. I think but, I th- yeah. there. I think there was one instance because I remember Maxi reading this and live tweeting about it. I think there is one particular instance where like the the text and the speech bubble don't align very well. Mm-hmm. Um. So we're uh, so I'm hoping mistakes like that'll hopefully be corrected in the first volume. But if not, I mean it's not a big deal. But like it's just like one small speech bubble of Yakumo sighing or something. It's not exactly like an entire page of text like aligned to the left or something but you know uh, little things like that i feel like make a make a first printing very special because it's like oh like hey i i have the first printing with with the with the misaligned text isn't that cool <laughs> maybe it'll become a collector's item i don't know but this is assuming that kodansha doesn't catch that mistake and they don't end up fixing it for the for the first release anyway but 
Yeah, I did notice a few letterling anomalies, and I'm sure that Kadansha reviewed the pages once again and maybe made some changes before the print release. So it would be interesting to go and check that and see whether they did make those adjustments. But um, I felt like the overall, like, I guess, wording of the translate. I can't speak for the translation myself because I'm not a translator and I've, I've never, re- I've never read the Rakugo manga in Japanese, obviously. Um, but I felt, I, I felt like the, um, the overall wording of the translation, at least, it felt natural to me. Like it didn't feel weird reading. Not at all. I thought it was very. I thought it was very, it was like the goal with, I think, translation is to make the dialogue feel natural, you know? So I think that they achieved their job because I didn't feel that anything that the character said was stilted or felt unnatural, even when it came to the Rakugo itself, which is told in this very classical, formal Japanese form of storytelling, right? So that, I think that deserves major props to just get all that just finally uh pinned down and just feel so natural for something that is so very Japanese and could, uh, in lesser hands, be translated as something kind of stilted and jarring. I mean, like like we talked about in uh, with the initial license, they got the actual, like, Rakugo Association or whatnot. That's probably not the actual name, but I don't remember off the top of my head. But they, they got, like, they got the actual Association of Rakugo to, like, you know, help them translate the the Rakugo storytelling parts of the manga, I think. So I, I think that was pretty essential to tra- probably translating most of the series. Indeed. And it's great that they went the extra mile to get that level of accuracy and to convey this Japanese style of storytelling to Western readers in a way that they can make sense of. Because with the anime, you know, we're hearing like, just the original raw Japanese of, of the performance just from the voice acting. We can get a sense of like how the performance is from the voice acting and just, you know, we can get immersed in that. So ju- to capture that just with the words and without the audio element, you know, I think that was a great, they did a great job. Yeah. It all felt natural and I had no problems with it. Um, but yeah, I think, um, was there anything else we wanted to discuss? Cause I think, I think I've talked about pretty much what I wanted to talk about. I think we have run the gambit of what we wanted to talk about with the first volume of this ending stories. Rakugo Shinju is possibly one of the best anime in recent years. Oh, yeah. Certainly, I would say so. It's one of my favorite. And the manga is as enjoyable and as fun to read. And no, having watched the anime, there's a great story ahead as well. That's going to be fun to look forward to and compare with the anime. I would definitely recommend this to you if you were a fan of the anime. And if you are a manga only reader and don't watch anime, I would still highly recommend this to you because this is a very well done manga about a very interesting subject that is done in a way that will like great manga about niche subjects will get you interested in that subject yeah i'm i'm still kind of flabbergasted that this is even like officially licensed honestly and i i really want this to do well yes and hopefully it will i think we have been seeing a boom in popularity and sales figures for um, a manga that 
are seemingly niche and of co- also specifically from female creators. Oh yeah. Both trends are very uh great to see and I'm hoping that Rakugo Shinjo also proves to be a great seller and uh just becomes as renowned as a great manga as the anime has been critically renowned in recent years as one of the best that the medium has to offer. Oh yeah. Um but I think with all of that um, I'm sure, Sid, you'll probably leave links as to where people can maybe buy the first volume if they want to check it out. Yes, I'll be leaving links to where you can buy it on Comixology and uh, maybe write stuff as well. There's all sorts of places to get it, but uh, digital is also great. So, yeah. And, yeah, I think that about does it for our Rakugo Shinju discussion. At least for now. At least for now. But actually, we for the first time in a long while, we get to end off the show with a question. This question actually comes to us from YouTube off of our Do You Buy Ongoing Manga video. Uh, Sonic Omega Mario asked us, Are you able to get into Shonen Jump if you are a Western creator? If you're not a Japanese artist? And, uh, I had already answered him on the, uh, YouTube com- in the YouTube comments that the jump is opening up to having more foreign artists in the magazine, such as Dr. Stone's artist Boichi, who is South Korean. And also the one shot Foley Adu that was, uh, published in jump back in, uh, summer of 2015 and was available on Shonen Jump Plus, uh, the website in Japan, was drawn by an American artist duo. I think that Jump is opening its doors to having uh, more artists from outside Japan uh, make manga for the brand. And yeah, I think that the way things are going, we could see maybe an American creator be serialized in the magazine itself, maybe one day. I think that the possibility is always open. You're going to have to learn how to read, write, and speak Japanese, of course, you know, before any of that can happen. Yeah, and it probably would be, I mean, for that kind of thing, like, I feel like I've read somewhere that, like, um, the editorial staff are, like, op- are possibly open to, um, you know, as long as you know the language, probably... Um, working with other people overseas in terms of creating manga, but I think it probably, I think they'd probably prefer that, um, that you'd work in the country of Japan, probably that way you'd be a, mm-hmm. a little more, uh, because, you know, if, you know, if, if you're a part of the editorial staff at jump and you have to work with, you know, a foreign creator that is obviously in another country, you know, there's a lot of like difficulties with the time zones and everything and all that kind of stuff. And, I, th- I think generally it'd probably be a lot easier if you not only learn the language, but you'd probably want to have to actually move to Japan. And if you want to work with uh, work with Shueisha directly, I think would probably be the most uh, probably be the most preferable way to do things. Yeah, but I do think it'll be possible, though you will have to put in the a- extra effort to move to Japan to learn Japanese, be able to speak and write in Japanese in order to really get far with the magazine. But I do think that ethnicity or where you've come from won't be a factor. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think hopefully one day we can, 
we can uh, we can see more foreign uh, foreign uh, comic creators in in Jump. I'd like to see that personally. I would too. It'd be amazing for the home of the world's greatest manga to have manga from creators around the world. So hopefully more of that'll uh, happen one day. Yes. Thank you for the question. Remember, guys, we love answering your questions, reading them out on the show. So please do send us in to mangamavericks at gmail.com or tweet at us at manga underscore mavericks on Twitter. Or even, like our friend Blue Kage here, leave us a comment on our YouTube videos and we'll answer them on the show. So there you go. Um, and I think that's going to be the end of the show. This was This was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Indeed. Uh, Sid, where can where can the good people find you? You can find me as at Lumramiyasha on Twitter and Lumramiyasha on various places, including Animation Revelation and my anime list. And I am doing manga reviews for allcomic.com that come out every now and then, so you can check those out as well. Hmm, but what was the latest title you uh, you reviewed? I'm curious. I Am a Hero, Volume 1. Very great read, definitely one of the most unique and fascinating zombie manga in recent years. Highly recommended. I- I'll leave a link to my review in the description. Well, there you go. And uh, as for me, you could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. Uh, I do a lot of other podcasts, uh, not just outside of this one, I mean, uh, including... Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast. If you are a fan of Gintama and you're looking for a more retrospective look on the series, um, definitely check us out. We've been covering the mangas from the very beginning through Viz Media's now discontinued release. And uh, you can find that. That's Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Or if you want to hear me talk about uh, Case Closed slash Detective Conan. Uh, basically, uh, One Podcast Prevails is kind of the same format as Life Lessons. We, Me and my friend, uh, Doctor, who we've had on the show before to talk about My Hero Academia, uh, we uh, talk about the case-closed manga from the very beginning. Um, only difference is, uh, there's uh, the uh, case-closed is still being released, uh, so we have a lot more to talk about. Um, and you can find that over at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. Um, but I think that's about it for all my stuff. So... As for Manga Mavericks and All Comic in general, uh, you can find every episode of our podcast at allcomic.com. And uh, you can also follow us on facebook.com slash alt.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. And uh, like Sid say, you can follow us and tweet at us at manga underscore mavericks. And uh, also subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, I don't believe we have a custom URL for that yet, but... uh, you know, the more people that subscribe to us on that channel, uh, we are just that much closer to getting a custom URL. We need about 100 subscribers for that. So uh, please help us out with that if you uh, like our YouTube videos and you want a more digestible way of maybe experiencing our content. Um, There's three-fifths of the way there. Only 40 more subscribers to go. We can do it, you guys. Okay, there. Let's make it a goal. Okay, there you go. Let's, uh, let's keep doing that. Um, and like Sid also said, you can email us anything about uh, about whatever manga you're reading. Uh, send, us, send us your manga collections. Uh, what do you think about uh, Descending Stories, a.k.a. Rakugo Shinju? You can email us uh, all your thoughts about any of those things at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. 
uh, b- basically that helps our uh, the visibility of our podcast helps us uh, get out there a little bit more um, but again you can do that if you choose to do so um, but I think that's going to be about it for the show so uh, join us next time for episode 33 of Maga Mavericks on allcomic.com bye guys sayonara sayonara